0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: For tuning in to Energy Awareness Radio. Do you have difficulty paying attention? Do you think that you are paying attention, but then someone calls you out because you are not? It is almost impossible for people to give their undivided attention to pretty much anything these days. You know, we live in a very busy digital age, and we accept overwhelm and overload as a normal everyday occurrence. And we don't always recognize that busyness is not purpose. And spending hours tweeting and posting on social media does not provide fulfillment. People are suffering. And the worst part is many don't even realize it. And those who do, well, they don't know what to do about it. Stress and illness are all too common. And we create all of that. And oftentimes, we gift our stress to others, bringing them down, feeding our own ego, thinking that by venting, it will bring us satisfaction. But it does not. That is not the answer, but we do have answers for you, so stay tuned to learn how you can return to your original nature and live more authentically, and probably more importantly, more peacefully. This is your host, T. Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio. I am the founder and CEO of the Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to providing the basic necessities of life to underprivileged children. I'm also a reconnective healing practitioner, certified vibrational sound therapist, and positive psychology and energy psychology practitioner at Quantum Wellness Center, my private practice located in Sussex County, New Jersey, where energy awareness radio streams to you live each and every week. My guest, Jason Gregory, is a teacher and international speaker specializing in the fields of Eastern and Western philosophy, comparative religion, metaphysics and ancient cultures he's the author of the science and practice of humility enlightenment now and our topic for discussion fasting the mind welcome to the show jason thank you for taking time to join us here at energy awareness radio how are you being
2: i'm i'm great T, and thank you for having me on it's a pleasure
1: Ah, your book, it's wonderful. It brings in different techniques and practices from different cultures, all of which offer methods to become more consciously awake in every moment of our lives and allowing us to feel, you know, the whole world around us, the beauty that's there, so that we can live more authentically and peacefully. It is succinct at only 135 pages, so it's a really quick read, yet it offers so very much. And I... I do need to say I love the cover as well. It's a wonderful design. And I have to ask you, is there any reason you decided on a Celtic knot as well as the fish?
2: <laughs> well, the um, actually, the, the knot, the eternal knot, um, that symbol itself comes from, well, it is Celtic, but it also comes from Tibet. And it's um, that's the what they call the endless knot so the eternal knot so that's basically there's a few descriptions for that and one is that to well obviously one is that we are in this in this temporary world we are actually within the eternal world so there's there's this whole idea of nirvana and samsara so samsara being you know the wheel of time the wheel of suffering but nirvana is this constant state that is ever present to every everyone you know, if we can sink to deeper levels within ourselves. And so that's one sort of perspective from the eternal. Knot. I, I do speak about the eternal, knot in, in fasting the mind about, you know, yeah. trying to sense that sense the et- eternity within reality. And also with the, with the fish, um, a, a good friend of mine, artist, Daniel Stewart in, in America, um, I, I said to him, because one of the reasons, uh, one of the things in the book, which you know T is that there's a difference um, between the way that um, the East and the West cognitively think. So our cognitions are actually different, which, you know, science is only just catching up to. You know, there, there was there was obviously this temperament in the West where they thought that everyone universally thinks the same, but that's not quite true. And, you know, through cognitive science, they've actually proven this. And why I've got that fish there um, in the book is that 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 particular image was used to ask westerners and easterners you know when they first glance at this image what do they what do they see and the interesting thing is is westerners would say you know obviously the big bog fish uh stands out to us first and foremost and and then when they would ask the easterners the easterners started to japanese and um east, east asian specifically koreans and chinese would start to describe the background and the relationship of the background to the, the foreground uh, meaning the big fish and So they've done many of these studies and and the conclusion basically is that the way that both the West and the East have have evolved, Westerners have evolved to to think much more analytically and think in terms of uh, categories and objects where um, Easterners have evolved to think much more in terms of relationships and context and so they have much more of a a holistic way of thinking and this goes into uh, uh, our cognition And so forth and so on. So, you know, that's a really interesting perspective that I've been studying over the years. And it is interesting also when you look at a lot of the spirituality that is in the world now is sort of predominantly Eastern when we talk about energy and we talk about, you know, everything being one and unity and so forth and so on. This is much more of a holistic philosophy. and, it, it, and ironically, it came from, you know, these Eastern cultures. So that's kind of the the, the nuts and bolts behind the, the cover there.
1: Well, I loved it. And when I picked it up and I saw the big fish and all the little fish, I was like, oh, that's the guy that's like showing everybody gets along. I really like this. So I was looking... You know, it's the big one, but at the background, too, thinking, they're all just getting along. Why can't the rest of us get along like these fish? You know, that kind of went through my head. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I bet nobody asked you that question before. I, I, I guess I'm a little <laughs> No,
2: No, yeah, visual. no. Well, it's a good question, you know, and it's probably something that we all need to think about, right? So.
1: Yeah. Why, why I, I just love it? it. It made me want to look at the book more, you know, it made me really want to get into it because there's something about it that was very welcoming and inviting. Like you wanted to, to see what was going on. So I really liked that. And, uh, and of course I like um, Celtic knot designs. Uh, I've done Celtic knot gardens. So when I saw that and I, somebody looked at the book and I said, I like the knot on the front. And they said, what? And I said, the Celtic knot. And she said, where? And I said, Oh my God, it's right there. <laughs> and I really had to point it <laughs> out for She wasn't, noticing it you know it was kind of funny yeah. um, but the title now we'll get to the title is fasting the mind and i think a lot of people know what fasting is especially in uh christian religions where they fast between you know lent, during the time of lent and even fasting in judaic religion where um you know you you fast for 24 hours or talk about fasting the mind go ahead and tell us what that means
2: well, when we think of you know it's it's good that you mentioned you know the the christian and judaic and and also uh, in Islam as well there's there's fasting as well. and so basically when we talk about fasting in the mind, you've got to think still in terms of about fasting in the body. so when you when people think about fasting in the body, they fast their body to to heal their body, to get rid of toxins that they've developed over time, you know from stress, from from bad eating and and all of these things. So the idea of fasting the mind is the same. You're fasting the input that's coming into the mind to release a lot of psychological tensions, a lot of things within your mind that are that are causing you stress and anxiety in, in your ordinary life. So when we think about fasting the mind, we've got to think first and foremost about what what we are consuming through our eyes and ears. So you know a lot of people think that. Um, they don't think about what they consume through their eyes and ears as food, but it is a type of food. It's a type of um, thing that we use to nourish our mind. So, And and what people have to appreciate is that the type of food that we're taking in through our eyes and ears oftentimes is, you know, not, not the best for us. You know, we'll sit on our smartphone for hours and just scroll a Facebook feed or we'll look at uh, frivolous nonsense, you know, on YouTube or something like this, like clickbait stuff, and all that's doing is it's not only agitating your mind, but it's also feeding you, you know, full of, you know, unnecessary information that you don't really need. So, basically, when you fast the mind, you're bringing your you're bringing your mind back into a state of equanimity. Whereas, you know, from the Eastern perspective, if when we're at a state of equanimity, that's when we can actually act authentically and naturally, without being driven by you know the agitation in our mind and also our own ego, um, which in many cases has developed from all of the information and stuff that we've consumed. So, you know, fasting the mind. The first time actually that the term was used, we have to go back about two thousand, two thousand four hundred years, back to the great Taoist sage Zhuangzi, and he, in the in the classic text called the Zhuangzi, there's uh he's one of his disciples, one of his friends actually. Yanwei, he kept talking about how he wants to, you know, transform this this king in in the, in western China, who's, you know, he's he's crazy, you know, he treats the people poorly and he's very gluttonous and and so he's got all of these schemes, Yanwei, to to try and convert, are uh, trying to to try and transform him, and um, the other character is Confucius, but this is Confucius is playing sort of the mouthpiece of Zhongzir in this one, and 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 Confucius shoots down all of these. You know all of these attempts. He's saying, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to basically change this man according to your own will, you know, your own your own mind, and you don't even know um, what your real mind is. And so he he told Yanwei you need to fast, and Yanwei said, but I already have. I, I fast all the time. You know, I don't drink wine and I don't do all these things. And he said, no, no, that's the fasting of the body. You need to fast the mind. And so he basically explains to him, once you learn how to fast the mind then you'll go to the situation with a pure mind and it'll just come to you spontaneously and naturally without, you know, your, your acquired mind having to, you know, your acquired mind trying to impose its will on you know another individual. So that's sort of where it came from. So getting back to, you know, what is it? It's basically taking all of the sensory input out of your life. Um, you know, we can't do that forever, but we can, make our life a certain way where we can take the sensory input out or we can just reduce um, sensory input as well. You know, we don't have to, you know, first thing in the morning open up our um, laptop and check the emails or or check our phone or, or get that last tweet off at night. You know, we don't need to do all these things. We We can actually reduce our time on it and come back more into that peace and equanimity that we naturally have within our mind and that's the only way that we can really advance the world becoming more harmonious because you know if we're all out striving and jumping on each other's shoulders trying to reach the apple you know we're not going to get anywhere and we're just going to continue this this you know this this life of stress that we've created ourselves and society so you know this goes and also the practice of fasting in mind goes even deeper because we even if we go back into the vedic civilization they had a practice called neti-neti, which means uh, an ability to, to discern um, your agitated mind, the, the, the thinking mind that's always trying to, you know, it's constantly ruminating on itself. So it's the ability to discern that and, and be able to observe that without acting impulsively from that from that place. So it does go fairly deep, the practice, um, if, if people are really interested to dive into it.
1: And... It's a good practice, too, because I think, well, first of all, when you're not fasting your mind, it does create overload, it does create overwhelm, people are stressed, and that just Mm. brings on illness, you know, manifests in ways that people don't understand how this can happen through stress. I mean, I believe it said that stress causes 85% of diseases. I think it's 100%. I don't think it's 85 I think that's way too low. <laughs> I think it causes everything. Yeah. You know, I just, it does, you know, and um, mm. I, I don't have, One of those magic phones, what I call it. What does it call an iPhone? I don't have one of those. I don't want one. I don't know how to text. (laughs) If someone held a gun to my head, they'd have to shoot me because I can't do it. And I don't want to. I don't need to be that available to anyone. It really it really bothers me. And people are constantly mm. telling me, you you have to do this. It's the way of the world. I'm like, no, really, I, I don't like the way of the world, so I'm not going to participate that way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Because, you well, know, if you go I to think, dinner,
1: think... restaurants are very quiet now. People are texting. They're not speaking. No one socializes. And I think that's what causes a lot of the suffering, is, is that you're not socializing with people. Would you agree with that?
2: Oh, definitely, you know, human interaction is so important. You know, there's there's healing qualities in it. There's you know, just it's it's basically just good for your mind to communicate normally. You know, face to face to have a have eye contact, or to, or to have bodily contact. These, these are just natural things that we should be doing every day. But you know, I, I'm with you. T. It's you know, you go to a restaurant and it's not really peaceful, even though everyone it's very quiet. Everyone's still in their mind jibber jabbing in their mind and they're you know not even looking at each other and they're on the phone like i always find it it it's so sad you know when you see a family they're all out and Mm -hmm. even the children on the phones or on the tablets and you're like Mm -hmm. i'm i'm not even sure if these people really know each other you know that's the sad thing about it because (laughs) (laughs) it's,
0: it's it's hard
2: how could you really know someone through a through a you know through a a digital screen it's, it's not really and you know the internet is such a how could I say, what can I say it's such a misleading um, world because you know a lot of people will be a certain way on the internet and then when you meet them in real life they're completely different and so this is causing lots of troubles within society that you know psychologists have only just started to talk about this and it's gone way further than you know what they even think you know, it's a, it's such a big problem. You know, I talk about in the book about how how digital screens and all of this have contributed to mental illnesses and, and stuff like this because yeah. people are so agitated, so anxious and so stressful. And like what you said, T and I would agree with you that I, I think stress does contribute to 100% of diseases because, you know, s- stress is what, you know, produces, you know, high levels of cortisol within your body and then your body can't you know, defend itself well enough and then over time you develop, you know, your immune system is not as strong and you develop all sorts of things within your body and people just don't know what it's like to actually just just to rest and be peaceful. I remember I, I had a tour last year. I took a group of people around India and one of the ladies was from England and she, um, she has a son and her life is fairly busy, you know, in England, and then she had just come to India, and she her phone doesn't work over there, you know. So her, her phone her <laughs> phone doesn't work in India. <laughs> and our, lo- our our meeting location was in in Chennai in, in southern India, and it's near a beach. And we just we were just walking down the street and India, as being India, you know, it's pretty crazy and this and that. But even in that crazy environment, because she didn't have any, you know, any social responsibility, anything that's gonna, you know, go ping or this and that in her pocket. She just said to her that she, she could feel herself even walking more calmly, you know she just felt mm. more calm, you know because she didn't have those social stresses and and those things that are that are almost they're keeping our fight or flight system on the on position, and you know this is a terrible yeah. thing when you fight when you when your fight or flight system is on the on position, your adrenal glands are constantly you know uh Secreting cortisol into your body And you're on point too much And you know And we shouldn't be on We shouldn't be on the on position all the time you know? That mechanism was only designed In real survival um, situations Like if there's a tiger walking down the street Or something So you know This is the society and the world that we're developing And this is something that the individual Really has to You know take control of their life And, and manage their mind better Because you know Simply, like for example, in 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 India, they talk about when they talk about stress because they they have a lot of um, spiritual systems. They say that mm-hmm. simply that stress is a result of us not managing our body and our mind. That's it. We are poor managers. Yeah. We might be able to manage our bank account and manage our you know our family's welfare, but we don't know how to manage our body and our mind. And you know this is a big thing in the world, and it's something that we have all got to, we've all got to reorient our focus on.
1: Yeah, the the balance is what is, is so very necessary and critical to your own well-being, and I think people are starting to get that. The yoga classes are much more full than they ever were before. I mean, 20 years ago, you go to yoga, and there was like, you know, 7 to 10 women, and now there's 20 women and 10 men. And a lot of attorneys and engineers and high-level executives and stock market executives. I mean, we live in New Jersey. A lot of people that work on Wall Street live in the area that I'm in. And you know what? They're going to yoga classes. They're doing the meditation. They're trying to do things because they realize that they need to. But the one thing they're not aware of is how much time they spend on their little techno gadgets. And every time a patient comes in to me for the very first time and they fill out their forms, the first question I have is, how much? I should put it on the form, how much time do you spend on your techno gadgets? And they laugh at me. And they'll say, well, how much time do you spend on I'm like, well, I'm with you right now, so none, because when I'm with my patients, I'm with my <laughs> patients. That's why I don't have an iPhone. You need to either... You know, either you email me or you you call the, the office line and you, you make an appointment. But I think that with so much of that, we've become so desensitized and people are trying desperately to get back to that, which is why your book is so interesting. And I like the fact that it's a quick read, you know, you can go through it and really gather information. And one of the things I found extremely interesting was And, you know, you know this at some level, but when I read your words, I thought I didn't get it this way (laughs) Um, about Mm -hmm. the the uh, the wheel of samsara, which is which is the wheel of time that makes us suffer versus nirvana. So to me, it was like, well, yin and yang is balanced. So nirvana and and some samsara are are balanced. Am I correct in, in interpreting it that way?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there is a balance there. There's, um, so, you know, samsara is that that wheel of suffering, that wheel of, you know, you know. We can talk about you know life after life or, or just moment in the moment, you know. Um, and nirvana is the ability to to perceive a, a deeper level of reality and have that state of equanimity in your mind, which you know in Buddhism they w- they might refer to as enlightenment for nirvana and and you know other traditions refer to it uh in their own different way as well but um there's a sort of balance there you know what i mean it i wouldn't say it's completely yin and yang um in mm-hmm. in in the masculine and feminine perspective but definitely there's um there is a balance there because first of all you 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 we can't escape um the the perspective of samsara we're always constantly um taking in information we're constantly putting things or storing things into our subconscious whether we like it or not the difference is is how we uh utilize that or how we suffer from that you know so once you've kind of you know in zen they say about unsticking your mind so once you unstick your mind those things can go in but they don't have such a a sticky quality that's, that, that stick into your subconscious and make you suffer as a result so that requires obviously lots of spiritual work to get to have a mind like that but the more we have a mind like that the more that we can experience um, experience this state of or, of you know nirvana that, that they talk about in the east um, where our mind is not stuck to duality our mind is not you know caught here or there in the apparent opposites or duality of life. So that's the end result. And, you know, to explain that even further, like when we think of, you know, samsara, like I mentioned in the book, the wheel of samsara framework. So, yes. And it's much, it's much more of a, uh, what would you say? Like a spiritual science that's come from the East. And, Mm -hmm. and basically the way, the basically the way that this works is that, as I mentioned before with uh, the subconscious, in Sanskrit they call that samskaras. Now samskaras is basically um, mental impressions or or subliminal psychological imprints that are latent within our subconscious and and that's what sort of fuels our habits and our actions. And see, so so samskaras is like the power base of our being which sort of drives our, our personal traits so that drives the second part of the the Wheel of Samsara framework, which is vasanas, which is um, translated in English as uh, latent tendencies or, or habits. And, and vasanas drive our karma. Now karma, people think of cause and effect, but karma really means action. And in this case, specifically, our unconscious actions most of the time. So, you know, how we unconsciously act to certain situations. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: You know, so this is all comes back to the power base, the samskaras. Um, so the, the the spiritual work is to try and turn the wheel back in on itself, basically meaning that you start with your actions so you become more conscious of how you are unconsciously acting in certain situations and you, you, you make an effort to, look, I'm not going to say that to T this way like I said last time or, you know, for example, I was angry but I'm going to try and... Um, reign that in and bring that in and what this does mm-hmm. is when you start when you start to be conscious of that it starts to have an effect on your on the vasana level on the habit level and then once your habits start to you know they say in Sanskrit they say you must burn your vasanas out to to understand nirvana and what they mean basically is that you've got to basically uproot all of those habits and that, that lead you to suffering and then that's what digs into the samskara level it actually transforms the samskara level so and then once you know you start to have this sort of transformation or, or or clearing out of the basement you could say then you start to have this this much more there's much more space within your mind there's much more equanimity you can see things more clearly without that without your perception coloring reality and and you can have that, that feeling of nirvana. So there there is a sense of balance there. You have to obviously, we have to live within samsara to know nirvana. There's no two ways about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. which which is getting back to your original point, T, is that when we think about the world as non-dual, so when you think about that, even though you and I are having a subjective experience and we're appreciating each other's company, th- there's a non-dual quality that pervades all of reality. And that's the idea of samsara and nirvana, nirvana in, in balance because you can't know nirvana without samsara because you have to be in samsara to understand it. And then also you can't, you know, know um, samsara without nirvana. And that, that's why in Zen they always talk about the perfection of nirvana because they they go as far as to say that you were always in nirvana but you just never realized it. You were just sort of caught in this in this wheel of samsara. So... Um, I'm not sure if that makes any sense to you But that's kind of
1: it about what,
2: what yeah. It Yeah,
1: And it seems it's about You know, as I was reading through I thought, you know, this is very much about Being aware of your thoughts Your words, your actions And using your filter You know, before you speak It's, it's really very, very basic And it's things we've all been told In a different way But when you read your book mm. It gives it to us in a way where, look, this has been going on. These are, you know, ancient practices that have been going on for years. And finally, right now, if you look out there and you see different uh, neuroscientists and even motivational speakers, if you will, they're out there talking about how you can change the neural pathways in your brain, which you can do. It's absolutely true by getting rid of the negativity and bringing in the positive. Many people think that that's kind of having a Pollyanna attitude. I do not. I believe that if you come from your heart, if you strictly come from your heart, whatever that means for you, and you believe something is is very loving and good and you come from that space, it's going to transform you completely. It will change your life if you live from that stance, and you will recreate or actually eliminate and 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 create new neural pathways in your brain and it will it 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 kind of takes care of the uh fasting of the mind because you're now co- focusing on what it is you're doing and you can't bring in the negativity and you can't bring in all the stuff that scatters your brain when you're coming from your heart
2: exactly and i 100% agree to and the thing is there is a lot of cynicism towards people uh towards the you know people who are trying to better themselves because a lot you know a lot of people in the world think that you've just you, you know you are condemned by your you know your genetics and your psychological makeup from your parents and so forth and so on and when we look at all the literature when we look at all the great people throughout history all the great sages all the great you know inspirational people they fundamentally transformed themselves you know it's they, mm-hmm. it's obvious and and it's all there for us to see you're only in denial if you don't see it, you know what I mean? Like for example, Mahatma Gandhi wasn't Mahatma Gandhi the same Mahatma Gandhi who died that we know, you know, when he was born, he was a completely different child and right. when he was in his teenage years and when he was in his early adulthood, he was a completely different guy than when he was in his 60s. You know, there was there was a fundamental transformation over time. You know even in psychology, they do talk about that if you're the same person from when you're eighteen to when you're sixty five you're kind of psychologically damaged because you've you know you yes. should have grown you should have you should have transformed yourself there's there's no there's there's no doubt in that you know and you know for example in australia there's this this attitude in Australia where people say "Ah oh, I love him and you got you ask why oh, he never changes he's so great and it's like why why is that?" I mean, to me, that's not great because, I mean, you should be changing every day because you should be having new experiences. You should be learning new things. You know, you should be refining your consciousness to be, to becoming, you know, the, the highest or the best version of yourself and the most peaceful version of yourself. So, you know, I, I don't understand the cynicism towards that, you know. And even when we look back in the great traditions, you know, they even went as far as to say that you can even wash out your genetic makeup. You know, there's great stories.
1: Yeah, they still do, in yeah. India.
2: Yeah, they still do, yeah. You know, w- mm-hmm. one of the great stories in India was one of the um, great sages, he said Shiva, um, you know, no father, no mother, no father left. He just said Shiva, you know what I mean? So Shiva means, um, if you ter- term Shiva in Sanskrit, means that which is not. So he he merged with that, um, that non-dual perception or reality or consciousness that pervades reality, which is beyond the genetic makeup. And so, you know, that's that's available to anybody and, and we can all experience it, but we have to get out of this sort of this, this cynical attitude that, you know, I'm just, I'm Jason, I'm, I'm bound to my genes, I'm bound to the traits that I picked up from my mother and father, and you know, even when I think about that, there's a lot of things um, that make, say, for example, my mother and father similar to me. But there's more things that make us different, you know, and that's from my experience and from my own work and, and my own spiritual work and, and so forth and so on. So, you know, it's it's definitely possible and it's happened. And like what you said, there's people, you know, in, in Wall Street and that in the busyness of that world are embracing this, this understanding and, and they know. Or they have a sense that there's a a deeper reality that we can access.
1: And I think that the cynicism that people have toward others is because they see that someone is trying to better themselves purposely. And to them, the cynic, they believe that that person is now thinking maybe that they're better than other people. When in actuality, mm. when they see the person, it's a reflection of what they want to be, and they don't know how to get there, and they wish they could be like that. So they do the comparison, they do the judgment, and they become cynical of themselves and of the world around them, and that's a very sad state of affairs.
2: <laughs> it is a very sad, sad state of affairs, T. You know, I've, you, would have, you would have probably experienced many of that in your lifetime, and I, I have as well, you know, from, from when I was <laughs> – just a nor- When I was just a normal teenager until I am now, um, even when I do meet my old friends, like, they, you know, they'll make remarks like, ah, gurus here, and, you know, un- undermining remarks that – cynical remarks that, you know, they're still my friends, but they – it's exactly what you were just saying. They, they're they looking at, yes. for example, my life, which I've actually done something with my life, and I'm transforming me and myself every day. Right and trying to be better, and then they're looking at their life saying, you know, geez, like, they're just still doing, they're still doing the same thing that they were when they were teenagers. So,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know, there's a lot of problems there that a lot of people don't understand about themselves. And you see, and like what you said beautifully was that, you know, people, they they just, they don't like people trying to better themselves. Because it, 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 people feel like they're being left, left, behind you know we have this very competitive yeah. mindset in the world today and it's like oh who does he think he is you know doing all of these things and you know he have all of these really cynical remarks and negative remarks about people who are, who are trying to better themselves and it's just because they feel like like, like what you said they that's what they know that they should be doing but they also feel that they, they have this competitive streak where you know ah, oh, you know who do they think they are like and you know it's it's so ridiculous, it's so childish that you know there's a lot of things uh, wrong with our society um, and psychology is one of the main things that we should be focusing on at, at the moment because you know we've got world leaders and we've got this and that that have got the same mentality that are running the show, and so this is a this is a terrible thing, and it's something that each individual has to you know focus on.
1: Yes. I mean, we have people, and I'll take the United States. We have a person in office who, who is a huge bully, and um, people love him. And, and, well, I don't I don't care. Um, I don't care what people think of me. I, li- I try to live the way that is going to work for me and not harm anyone else because I think nice matters, and I think you don't need to be mean for any reason. And yet I know there are people who I thought were my, my friends who have, undermined who have attacked me verbally and said things in front of other people and I've thought wow really and now those people I keep at arm's length and what you have to do if you're the person that's trying to grow if you want to really live from your heart and and feel good about you every single day it's not an easy job to do that because you do have to put up with the people that you think are your friends or kindred spirits or whatever. You know, if you get out of this world with one good friend, you're luckier than a lot of people because these people on Facebook who have a million friends, they're not your friends. You do not have a million friends. It's just not real. And, you know, I, I laugh at that and I think, wow, that's not the goal. The goal is to grow your heart and to be in service to other people as best you can. But I think the hard part is that you have to not, let it get to you what other people think you have to not really care it is going to affect you and the moment you realize it's bothering you and this happened to me just yesterday monday i received an email that immediately triggered something in me my heart started to race and my hands were physically literally shaking i could see it and i thought wow you have got to calm down and I got up and walked away from my desk. I walked outside, and then I came back and got a coat because it was like 12 degrees outside. And I was like, "That's not smart. Go get your coat." went <laughs> <laughs> I got my coat. I came back in the house, and you know, and I was like, "Wow, this is crazy that I'm allowing this person to get to me." You have to, you have to work to the point where things, we're an onion. We're going to peel away layers, but something somewhere will trigger something that you thought you got rid of, and and you didn't. But the good news is it doesn't last as long each time that trigger comes up. And it was probably 20 minutes the other day, and I was like, okay, I did that in 20 minutes. That's good. We know it's going to come up again in my life at some point because it probably will. It's just the way it is. And the next time it might be only five minutes. But you have to have the tools, and you offer that in your book as well. There are tools that people can use in order to bring themselves to a point so that they're fasting their mind. Do you want to go over some of those?
2: Yeah, for sure, and it's good that you mentioned that too, because you know a lot of people react far too quickly to certain situations, and um, we've all, mm-hmm. you know, depending depending on the magnitude of the situation, we've all we've all kind of took the bait, you could say, <laughs> you know, even even though even though we've done a lot of spiritual practice, there might be you know a certain situation that was just the magnitude was just much higher, and and it dragged us into it, and you know you know, we always know the end result of those sort of situations, you know, that your energy is depleted, you, you, you just, you shut down, you know, a lot of people, you know, I've I've been, you know, in the past had a bad experience with a friend where, you know, I'm in a fetal position because, you know, the, all of the energy is taken out of me, mm-hmm. they've, they've done something that's wrong, I've reacted, and then you end up in this, this cycle of, you know, suffering and, you know, in in my yeah. book, I offer the the ancient the ancient tools to, to counter this. And you know, I mentioned one a little bit before. There's a Sanskrit word vivika, which means the ability to to discern in to discriminate and discern your, your 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 agitated mind. So it's kind of a your your pure self, which is witnessing you know the the mind or the ego jumping around, wanting to react like. Like a little child, like a six-year-old boy running around smashing things in the lounge room, and you want to discipline him. You know, it's kind of like like that. Where you know that's our mind a lot of the time, especially when people are, are overstimulated. The mind just jumping around, doing backflips and so forth and so on. And so you have to develop this ability to be able to discern that. Now, the second part of that is another is a another Sanskrit term is called vairagya, now, Viragya is uh, non-reaction. So, what you do is, once you begin to develop that faculty or that strength to discern between your real self and your persona system, your ego, then you develop this ability to not react. And what I mean by not react is not not to react impulsively. You know, obviously you still react to things, certain things in life, but but the reaction I'm talking about is is what you were alluding to before, where you know, someone drags you into an argument and next minute you're off down the rabbit hole of that argument and after it, nothing good comes from it. Maybe a friendship has been ruined or, you know, there's all of these things that happen. And so this tool is, Vairagya, is to train yourself not to react. And this sort of goes back to what I was talking about before with the Wheel of Samsara framework because this these tools will help, for example, your karma, your your unconscious reactions in the world and your vasanas, you will begin to to kind of um, reduce them to the point that you've kind of mastered them. Where even if it is such a a really heavy experience or, or something that's really trying to pull you in, you kind of just go, "No, I'm not going to do that." You know, um, there's there's a there's a famous story. There was a Armenian Russian mystic. Uh, Gurdjieff, uh, George Ivanovich Gurdjieff, uh, who most people are pop- uh, probably know. And the story is is he's, he was asking his grandfather for some wisdom, and his grandfather said, look, I'll leave you with this piece of wisdom. When someone says something or does something to you, even doesn't matter how bad it is, don't react in that moment. Just say to them, I'm going to come back to you in 24 hours. <laughs> now, I know that this may seem ridiculous, but, you know, if someone pulls you up and tries to argue with you, and you say, I'm going to come back to you in 24 hours. But what that does is, his point is that once you have time to sort of not even think about it, but just let, let, let the time even heal the, that process, you can come back to that person or whatever the situation is with much more of a steady, stable mind where you're not ready to react and your fight-or-flight system's not, not switched on. Um, on the high alert button. So, you know, these these tools will will help you when when you use the Vivega and the Vairagia tools of fasting the mind of mind fasting. Then this will help you to begin to be you know much more uh, conscious in, in your life. You know, and and I find that a lot of mindfulness teachers and this and that don't really offer the proper techniques to to allow people to be to be a social person within society you know people would just say just be mindful and it's like that's all well and good but the problem is just with being just mindful is that you're not offering the tools for someone's to to fundamentally transform the way their their cognitive function is and this is what vavika and Vairagya do they they provide you the tools to to train your cognitive function you know it's, it's just like training your body in a, in, a, in a certain sense you you train your body to to flex a certain muscle you train your cognitive function to to act a certain way so yeah those absolutely
1: I, I, I and it recommend. it is practice yes it's definitely practice to to ensure that you're aware enough to put it into practice each time it's funny because when i first got married uh i remember my husband and i well he decided he wanted to have a fight and i i, I don't want to fight <laughs> I just don't <laughs> want to fight. And it's just one of those yeah. things. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to fight. And so he spoke his piece loudly, and I said, okay, hold that thought. And then I went to bed. (laughs) I got up the next day. And when he got up, I had like a little PowerPoint presentation ready for him. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And this is my side. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm explaining. And he goes, this isn't how you fight. I said, oh, you don't, I don't know why he married me because you do not know how I work. I mean, you've known me for a long time. This is how I fight. I don't. I won't. It's not worth the energy. I am not going to waste brain cells fighting over stupid things. Life is too short. It's meant to be lived. And I just really want to live in peace. So we're going to have to live peaceably. This house is sacred space. We can't fight here. And so we don't. And, exactly. you know, that kind of worked for me. <laughs> but there's nothing to fight about.
2: That's beautiful to you. No, there's nothing to fight about. And, and, you know, and that's, see, a, signif- a, a spouse is the perfect spiritual field put, to put these tools into practice. With, just with what you did mm-hmm. right there. Like, you know, half the time when you see husbands and wives arguing, you know, you know, the thing is, usually it's financially motivated. It's usually about finances mm-hmm. or it's about something that, you know, something that... Or sex. Um, it's very,
1: That's a big or one. Or sex, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's
2: something very, like, something that doesn't really need to be argued over. Like, it's it's unnecessary. And, I, you know, I always find it funny because when I walk around and I see couples arguing i just think you guys are going to make up in 5 minutes and you're going to waste all of this energy and stress and yep you could have just said Let, look let's drop it right now and let's remember why we are together you know what i mean why we love each other cuz in this very yep. moment that's that's eclipsed that's eclipsed because you know i left my my towel on the floor <laughs> you know something something completely you know nothing really to have an argument about but you just you you know most of the time people are just tired you know something will just tick them off oh the towel's on the floor how dare how dare she do that you know so then then off you go to the races you know it's uh, it's um yeah it's a terrible thing yeah
1: so, I had you know, I put rules say, into place you know, I, I started out with we have to have rules, you know, um, this is sacred space and we're not going to fight. That's rule number one. Rule number two is, you know, make sure you leave your troubles outside the door and don't bring them in the house. We're not talking about work when you come home. So that's rule number two. Um, and, you know, if you have something that is if if you do have an argument. When you go into the master bedroom, that is even more sacred space. That's where you have to know that I love you no matter what, and I have to know that you love me no matter what. So after we had this little, you know, I went to bed, he came in the bedroom, and, of course, I was trying to snuggle with him at night, and he's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, I I wanted to snuggle. I thought maybe we could get busy. (laughs) He's like, what are you talking about? We're having a fight. And I'm like, you're having the fight. I'm not. And in this space, this is where you sleep and you make love. And when we walk out that door tomorrow morning, if you want to fight with me, that's fine. I'm not going to fight, but you can do whatever you want. But in here, you still have to know why we took vows. You still have to know that no matter what, I love you and you love me. That's the rule. And, you know, I don't think it's a bad rule. Now, there aren't a lot of cognitive behavioral therapists who believe, with, you know, go along with this with me. They laugh at me. But I don't care. I teach positive psychology. I am I am dealing with people that they're not seeing. They even send people to me. <laughs> I'm like, why are you sending the people to me? Because you can't handle it. <laughs> you know, it's kind yeah. of funny. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well, I don't see anything. What's
2: wrong? I mean, I don't see why anyone would see anything wrong with that because it makes complete sense. You know, this is, I always say to people, you know, when they ask about, you know, having an argument, I say, look, if you're gonna, if 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 you're having an argument with your with your spouse, f- for God's sake, if they're gonna leave, if they're going to work or something like this, or you're going out or something else, like make sure that before you leave, you just hug them and you know you reinforce how much you love them, um, because you never know what can happen when when someone walks out the door, and you don't want right. to leave it that way, but because That's that right. way that you're gonna leave it is not the authentic way. You're just tired and you're just annoyed and the world sucks sometimes. And so, you know, we take it out usually on the people we love the most, which is just such a stupid thing, but that's what happens. So, you know, you've got to really make sure that you make sure that even, doesn't matter how bad the argument is, reinforce how much you love them and how much, you know, they mean to you and so forth and so on. And, you know, even Thich Nhat even Tik sorry, sorry, even Han would teach that he puts the onus back on the person who's annoyed. You know, so instead of, yeah. say for example, your husband, instead of your husband getting angry at you, him coming to you saying, look honey, I suffer at the moment and this is why I suffer. So you're taking your own responsibility of your own suffering. You know, and you, but you, you're approaching it in a much different manner. And this is what I was going to talk to you about before, when when you were saying people are being really unpleasant to each other and this and that. There's there's a quality to be just being pleasant. You know what I mean? There's there's a particular energetic quality. We don't have to all go in and around and be in this headstrong, entrepreneurial sort of attitude that people have these days, where people are just barging through life and saying what they will to people, and and then putting the onus back on them. Oh, that's your problem. And it's like but you're just being an asshole. Like you're not, you're not coming from a really pleasant place. You're not really peaceful, and and you know how is that gonna help anybody? You know, so we well, have to practice not. that first and, and, you know, foremost. In that.
1: Yeah, when yeah. you said yeah. you know it makes perfect sense, it does make sense. But I'm told that it's not practical. And I had this argument with a shrink once, and I said to him, it. It makes sense, but it's not practical for you because you don't put it into practice. If you did put it into practice, it would be practical. But you're not practicing it because you're just allowing yourself to get mad and vent. Yes, we all have to vent, but there's a way to vent. And if you learn to vent in a different way, it becomes practical, and everything that I'm saying makes complete sense. It's just that we don't do that in this world. We don't do it that way. It's a different way of doing it. And instead of looking at me and saying it wouldn't work for everybody else, you're just unusual. And and I'll agree, I am unusual. I'm a unique person. I get that. That's okay with me. It works for me. But I think that... When I talk to my patients and my clients, and they put some of this stuff into into practice, it does work for them, and it changes things it shifts things within your body, within the neural pathways of your mind, your brain it, within your mind because that 's different from your brain the way that you react. your whole life changes, including the people you work with at your job, relationships with friends, your marriage, your children, whatever it is because now you 're practicing it everywhere, and you 're going to draw those types of people around you who are act that way too and everybody's going to be more pleasant it really does work but people have to want to do it so many times and there was this one couple i knew they would scream at the top of their lungs to each other in the store that they owned and when you'd go in i'd be like oh my god these people just constantly yell and scream at each other it drove me crazy but it was the best yarn store going so i went <laughs> and i needed it for knitting <laughs> and I was just like, you know they have really great <laughs> yarn there <laughs> but they screamed and yelled at each other and i said why do you guys do that can't you just talk and they said no and I was like, wow, really? You know, it just, it, it, it's a different. It's just a different way. So when you say it makes complete sense, it does. But for most people, it's not practical because the ego is getting in the way. And instead of sitting there and saying, I'm not going to fight, one of you has to say, I'm not going to fight. You can fight all you want, but I'm not going to be a part of it, okay? If if you want to talk to me, that's okay. But if you want to fight, this isn't going to work. And I remember saying to my husband, did you learn nothing from marriage, number one? I'm wife, number two. You should have learned something, you know? You should have learned something. You're lucky you have me because I can teach you. (laughs) He didn't like that either. Well this is where this is where like
2: this is where the practice of fasting the mind can help people, you know, like with what we were talking about before, like with Vivika and Vairagya. Mm-hmm. Like what you like what you said, T, you know, everyone has to vent, but there's a way to vent, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you have the ability to to discern between, you know, your your authentic state and your agitated ego and also have the ability not to overly react you'll make your venting much more conscious. So, you know,
0: you might just sit
2: down and... And more productive, yeah. You can actually get results that way. You know, there's... Mm -hmm. You know, we all suffer to a certain degree, you know, and... But there's a way to approach that. Instead of going crazy and just screaming at the top of your lungs, you know, let's sit down, speak about, you know, what your problems are, you know, and... We'll see what we can do. We can work through it, you know. You know, we've all mm-hmm. screamed at the top of our lungs to the point that we're we're dizzy. You know, people have panic attacks.
1: Absolutely, and they're, they're
2: screaming at the top of their lungs, and it's like that's not that's counterproductive, you know. So let's have a much more productive and practical approach to our suffering and and our disagreements with each other. You know, this goes for everybody. This is how even politicians should think about the way that they approach life. Yeah, you know, we've got. <laughs> We've got, you know, we've got all of these egotistical politicians going around swinging their their big swinging missiles, you know, at each other. Um, mm-hmm. And but they've completely out of touch with the the way that their mind works. And you know, if you're out of touch with the way that your mind works, then you can never come from the heart. You know, so you know, there's a lot of things for us to to focus on. And it, but. It, you know, it does begin with our immediate relationships. So that's where I tell people to begin. Like they say, you know, what do I do for a spiritual practice? Well, just put these practices into play in your immediate life. You know, if you, if you're interested to go to a monastery or this and that down the track, then I can recommend somewhere to go and, you know, to get into deeper levels. But if you want to just start off, start off with your immediate life, you know, like that's, that's the life that you're gonna be living most of the time anyway, so you know, you've gotta start there yeah. or you'll you know, what's the gift
1: point? your loved ones with gift your loved ones with fasting your mind and you can get all the information in the book that Jason Gregory wrote, Fasting the Mind, Spiritual Exercises for Psychic Detox. It is wonderful. And as I said, it's only 135 pages. There's not a lot to read, but it's so chuck full of information that you'll just absorb. It's, it's amazing. Some of the things... You've probably heard before in other contexts, but it makes so much sense in this context. And it could be because of the time that we're in, you know, in in this point in history. It really is a wonderful, wonderful book. I I urge everyone to go out and and get the book because it will help you tremendously in every aspect of your life. I can't believe that we're almost out of time, Jason. But before we go, if you would, please tell our listeners how they may learn more about you, your work, and where they may purchase your book, Fasting the Mind.
2: Okay, cool. Yeah, my website is jasongregory.org, so just my name, and I've got everything on there, articles, book excerpts, blogs. I've got a show called Enlightenment Today that people can can watch for free on YouTube. Um, You can find me on social media, um, easy enough. And also, yeah, all my books are available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and and at my publisher, innertraditions.com.
1: And there's also on your website... There's uh, YouTube videos, and I I hope I get this title right, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I believe it was called, um, is it called The Sound of Creation?
2: Oh, yeah, the, The Sacred Sound of Creation
1: the sacred yes i can't wait to watch that because i'm a sound therapist you know so i'm like (laughs) oh i really want to watch that i am like this will be really cool so you can actually watch those things and it's just it's it's chock full of information there's a, a plethora of information on the website so please go and look at that and jason thank you so much for joining us today if you'll just wait until i finish the outro so i can ask you how you know ask you a few questions afterward i'd appreciate it can you do that
2: yeah i can thank you for having me on Tea. It was beautiful.
1: Thank you so much. Ah, it was a great show. Okay, listeners, we need you to spread the word. We know you enjoy what you hear on Energy Awareness Radio, so please share it with your friends. We live in a very challenging and constantly changing world, and that's why I have the guests that I do to keep you apprised so you won't get lost in the dross of life. We need to stay aware so we can navigate easily and live the life we are meant to live productively, healthfully, and purposefully. This is where you find the tools to do just that. So send the link for this show to everyone you know and let them have the same opportunity that you just had so they may learn and grow and make the world a better place for all. On behalf of everyone here at Energy Awareness Radio, I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in. My name is T. Love. Please feel free to join me next week for another great show. For more information about me, please visit my website, quantumwellness.org, and also Soji Huggles Children's Foundation, where every dollar of every donation directly supports children in need, 100%. We're run by volunteers, no salaries, no stipends, no compensation of any kind to anyone. You can check us out at SojiHuggles.org. Don't forget to follow me on both Twitter at NRG Aware Radio and at Soji Huggles. I am your host, Key Love, here at Energy Awareness Radio, intending you and yours a most wonderful week. Remember, living from your heart is quite easy. You need only give thanks to do so. Take care and stay well.